Welcome to all of you here uh, to this Scorpio New Moon meditation meeting and also to all of you who are joining up via the live stream. Together we create a potent group field which can be of aid in the solving of the problems of humanity. That's the really initial intention underlying this new moon work. Um, more of the horizontal axis of the monthly cycle. So at this time we try and discuss themes that are important in terms of problems in humanity. And we know that this subject of death is a, a crucial one. <laughs> and many issues involving death are still in the dark. So we thought we would use the energy of the Scorpio new moon, Scorpio being a sign of death and transformation and triumph. We thought we'd go deep in the little time that we have to try and bring up a few points related to death and the dying experience. But before we begin, we always like to take a moment of silence for a brief visualization followed by a sounding of the mantram, the ancient mantram on the, car the card on your chairs. So let's just begin by taking a moment of silence to center ourselves from the busyness of our lives. Take a few deep breaths. And let's focus ourselves in our group life, seeing it as a great center of love and light irradiating the world, bringing relief, light, love, and a healing in increasing measure. So as a sphere, visualize the group as a sphere, bringing light, bringing love. Then focus upon the subject of our meeting tonight, the subject of death and dying, and the contribution that we can make through our lighted thoughts to this essential topic of consideration. Keep the focus on the service that we can give. 
the ancient mantra. Lead us, O Lord, from darkness to light, from the unreal to the real, from death to immortality. So I just have a few thoughts to share, and then we'll have our group meditation, followed by uh, a discussion period where you can share your thoughts. So I have a couple quotes. Um, from This is from Esoteric Psychology 1 by Alice Bailey. It says, each life is not only a recapitulation of life experience, but an assuming of ancient obligations, a recovery of old relations, an opportunity for the paying of old indebtedness, a chance to make restitution and progress, an awakening of deep-seated qualities, the recognition of old friends and enemies, the solution of revolting injustices, and the explanation of that which conditions the man and makes him what he is. So we can see, therefore, that obviously the law of rebirth is taken as a given, and each life we're, as this quote says, we're recapitulating previous life experiences and meeting people who were friends and enemies in the past. Uh, and there's often a sense of deep recognition when you meet someone that particularly was an important part of your service work in, in previous lives. So although we don't consciously often remember the death experience, we know that we've all passed through it hundreds and hundreds of times. So it's not really new. And as we come to understand the cyclic nature of all life, we realize that nothing in the universe is static. All forms are constantly mutating, recapitulating, and evolving into higher states of being. Evolution is one constant. There's no ending point, no goal, no ultimate destination that we eventually achieve and then rest back on our laurels. So we're always progressing forward through each life to a fuller state of consciousness. But it still remains a mystery to us 
And our lack of clarity related to death causes much pain and suffering for people everywhere. And it's said that this fear that's engendered of death is the greatest success of the forces of materialism on our planet because it keeps us um, keeps us very much um, living our lives with a false reality because if we recognize that we are responsible for what we do, we're responsible for our actions, that death is not just a sleep and a forgetting, as Shakespeare says. It's actually just a continu- continuation of what we've done in this lifetime. So um, we begin, when we begin to understand the law of rebirth, we know that we're held accountable for all of the things that we undertake in this lifetime. So we have a sense of responsibility to serve and to give back, and we no longer live for ourselves alone. So I wanted to focus mostly in our discussion and in these few words with the process of dying itself. Because due to advances in medical technology during the recent decades, increasing numbers of people have reported passing through near-death experiences. And these reports have done much to bring to light information about death. Some people might question the validity of these experiences and whether what occurred was truly related to death or was just a type of hallucinatory experience of some sort. But these reports, nonetheless, because of their striking similarity to each other, have become increasingly difficult to ignore. Near-death accounts are doing much to help shatter the fears of death. For overwhelmingly, the experience is reported to be as beautiful and joyous as can be. It's a release from restrictions of form living, and it's a reunion with spiritual teachers, friends, loved ones, and pets. So in the Alice Bailey books, we're given a few um, instructions to use when we might be involved in a death um, process, usually not our own because these are things that we can do to aid the dying person, but also to just consider ourselves. um, The Buddhists believe that the consideration of death is one of the most important things that we can do during life to prepare us for that eventual opportunity because death is considered a great opportunity. And the Tibetan himself says, I conjure, this is a really powerful statement, I conjure all of you to push the study of death and its technique as far as possible. To push the study of death and its technique as far as possible and to carry forward occult investigation of this matter. So he's really asking us to experiment, not in a dangerous way, but there are um, many teachings out there available to us on how to work with the dying. Many people in this country now are working in hospice movements, Buddhists, 
And in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there is quite a, a depth of understanding about the processes of dying. And it's actually said that part of the training of Tibetan monks is uh, a secret teaching. It's not revealed to others, but it's a secret teaching that's carried on verbally and passed along to those monks that perhaps uh, the lamas have decided that this would be um, something that they would be able to aid in. And so there's groups of, uh, I guess we could call them midwives of death, in Tibetan schools who are trained by these teachers of how to work with the dying through first recognition. They're able to recognize by, I guess, some type of clairvoyant observation of the centers in someone's body. And they can tell by the state of the centers whether that particular person is going to recover from whatever they're passing through at that moment that looks like they could die or they could get better. This group is able to tell the signs whether or not they should continue to work with this person, meaning starting to prepare them for the process of death, or whether they should don't have anything else to do with this and this person is going to be left in the hands of healers and the medical profession. So we don't have such training here in the West, but nonetheless, this statement by the Tibetan is asking us to carry forward a cult investigation on this matter. So I wanted to read some of the suggestions that he gives for people who are working with the dying. They're quite simple, but I'm sure with time more advanced techniques will come our way. Okay. The first suggestion, and this is definitely not adhered to in hospitals today, which is the primary place where most people die. Um, but the number one point that he makes is to maintain, maintain silence in the death chamber. This is um, really important, especially when he brings forward the idea that even people who are in a coma they hear everything that's going on around. So we often think that when someone's in a coma, they're totally unaware of their surroundings. And that's not true. And so this maintaining of silence is not just as someone is passing through the actual dying process, but often that's preceded by a number of days or weeks even when someone's in a coma. And also, when someone's in a coma, they can come out of that coma. That has happened. And so we shouldn't just assume that when someone's in a coma, they're going to die, but still maintaining that silence while doing spiritual work with the dying person, I think, is something that we really need to adhere to. So turning off the televisions, letting the nurses and doctors know that we're maintaining silence. And so if you want to talk with us about the condition of our dying loved one, we would like to do that outside of the room. For silence enables the departing soul to take possession of the body and make due preparations for the transitions into death. It's also suggested that orange lights will facilitate the withdrawal from the physical body, as orange is said to aid the focusing in the head. 
Also, it would be found that certain types of music will be used to aid in the abstracting process, as well as pressure on certain nerve centers and arteries. And the Tibetan says that some of these techniques are preserved in the books on dying from Tibet. So those are things that could be researched in some of the more exoteric uh, teaching on death in Tibet. He says, mantric phrases will also be used by those in the room and, if possible, by the dying person, him or herself. It's recommended that the sacred word be chanted in an undertone or on a particular key to which the dying patient can respond. It's also suggested that the top of the head be pointed towards the east and that the feet and hands be crossed. Sandalwood only should be burned in the room and no incense of any other kind permitted for sandalwood is the incense of the first ray or destroyer aspect that aids the transition into death. So these are a few thoughts that we can hold in our consciousness and aid either subjectively or objectively the 150,000 people who die each day on our planet. So let's now work in our new moon meditation. Strengthening the hands of the group of world servers. Coming together in group fusion. I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. Standing as a group within the heart center of the new group of world servers. Extending a line of lighted energy toward the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart center, and to the Christ as the heart of love within that hierarchy and then towards Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known.
her interlude. Holding the mind focused on the planetary role of the new group of world servers. Mediating between hierarchy and humanity. Responding to hierarchical impression. Meditating the plan into existence. Meditation, reflecting on the sita, 
through the impression and expression of certain great ideas, humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the new group of world servers.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet, from Shambhala, hierarchy, the Christ, the new group of world servers, all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world, and finally through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servers, so building the thought form of solution to world problems.
of the Great Invocation using the adapted wording from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth from the point of love within the heart of God. Let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know answer from the center which we call the human race let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. So now we come to the third part of our meeting where we have uh, time for any thoughts that you might want to share related to the topic. And we have a few, a couple questions to guide us. Um, <coughs> the first is, how does the contemplation of an expanded view about death <coughs> change our life?
I like Kathy what you said um DK's quote about the um that the fear of death is the one of the greatest or the greatest triumph of the forces of materialism on our planet and that makes me think how really liberating it is when we actually don't fear death and we when we when we can live in a state in which um death is just a normal part of the cycle of life and in fact a very important and a very kind of um, essential part of it, very spiritual part of it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think when that, when that fear is gone, it actually gives significance to life and it gives purpose. And today so many people, especially a lot of young people, they feel very bereft of significance that life is you know accelerating so quickly, it's becoming so know detached from our humanness all this technology all of the social media all of the kind of people are more connected than ever but also at the same time more um, separated as well socially in a way Um, but I think when death is understood and when the law of rebirth is understood as the kind of a governing governing the governing the cycles of the soul soul's incarnation then I think I mean that's a, that's a maybe a, a difficult thing to be. It seems like it may maybe far somewhat far away in the kind of realization of our consciousness on a social on a whole worldwide level of this law of rebirth. But I think the first step of that is to not fear death and to understand death as something that is to be celebrated, not just accepted. And I think that's really the first kind of. St- an in an, a way in or one of the first steps in the way to kind of re-establishing or reasserting our as humanity as a group our 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 hold on the asserting our agency over our purpose and over knowing our purpose and recognizing it. Thank you. Yeah, it is really. Um, such a tragedy, the growth in suicide that we see, as you said, particularly among young people, because you just, um, you understand it. I mean, Alice Bailey said she understood it well, had attempted it a few times in her youth, um, because if you don't have an understanding of that there is something more to life than this, you can certainly understand why people decide to not go on with this anymore. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why the Tibetan and uh, his master, (laughs) Kutumi, have said that one of the most important services that we can provide is to discuss death with others, to try and shed light on it so that people have a more expanded view and... uh, consequently take their own lives for the gift that they are because our lives are a gift (coughs) I would suggest somewhat probably a different view to this topic I think 
it's quite natural to have fear of death and it's something that has to be accepted as part of our lives and uh, fear of death it's part of experience of our part of our personality that definitely will die our physical body will die there's nothing to argue about it and our physical elements they have quite right fear mm-hmm. because they will disappear they will be gone i think when we talk about it it's we should accept that it's as any other fears in our life that it's something that is there but we don't have to identify with that and we have to respect and nurture that part of our personality that's we'll have to say goodbye forever and uh, but it's the matter of identification with the part that's not going to die and uh, that's part that can celebrate death and so in a way this great adventure of death is something that we have to be prepared as to any other rightly feared dangers in our life and just to uh, accept it when it comes and it's like the same as like when something happens to me really bad I as a disciple I have to just to face that and just go and like to confront it because uh, from um, I had experience just seeing how people die and it's quite an experience of detachment that soul undergoes and soul fiercely fights with the physical elemental that don't want to die soul wants to leave body wants to stay and that's just how it is but I think um, so much of spiritual training is really focused on overcoming the one fundamental thing which is fear you know it's not just fear of death it's fear of so many other things in life and so I do think that once the initial shock, you know, if you have some kind of terminal situation or whatever, uh, the initial shock, sure, the physical elemental really kicks in strongly and the emotional as well. But I think that spiritual practices are so geared towards helping us overcome all kinds of fears, as I said, that hopefully we should be able to accept, you know, maybe not embrace it so much right away, but accept that this is going to happen. I know it's more difficult for someone who's not training in a spiritual practice, but I think that people who are training in spiritual practice can use techniques, such as that technique in um, white magic, where the Tibetan asks us to deal with our fears by calling in a triangle between our soul our personality and our master, 
and to blast away with light the feared event, whatever it might be, death in this in this case, you know. And to do, he says to just keep using it and just keep pouring white light through your vehicles. Um, I think that we do have to try and deal with it, you know, powerfully with using light and love. In connection with the fear, I think uh, if we, if one has lived a long life and old age has come naturally and and gracefully, not necessarily gracefully, but long life, one thoughtfully might embrace that as necessary end and uh, young parents or people with goals ahead of them might be afraid to die before achieving their goals you know, or and then people who have established insurance death benefits and everything might have a different attitude you know if I go, things will be taken care of, their children or whatever. So all these things will factor into the fear. But there are circumstances where all these things have been taken care of and still there is just plain fear of death. And, and, and I think that is for people who are involved in some spiritual practices, developments of some sort, that fear could become a problem. Uh, there was one American philosopher who said he had gone through the death and he didn't have a bad time at it. And Maybe this is what uh, disciples in the new age using the Tibetan techniques will be able to achieve. And uh, in the cultures where death is not seen as the terminus, as the end, but there's a belief that people live after death they also prepare differently. For instance, there's a culture where they don't put on shoes for the dead when they dress the dead because they say they'll be disturbing when they come to visit. When I was a kid, my grandfather died and he had a rocking chair and that's where he eats. And another cousin of mine, I when he passed away, they served him the regular food at the, at, the, at, the, at the regular time. And then we shall say, oh, yeah, Grandpa, Grandpa is eating. And we saw him actually eating. And then we shall call. You know, the others did not see. Say, Grandpa is coming. Oh, he's finished. He's finished eating and he's leaving. We saw this. <laughs> As we grew up, it fades away. You know. So, and the belief was so strong that it wasn't taught as normal. 
here because of the objective focus, which is also good, these things should be considered as hallucinatory, you know, imaginative. And there was a situation where a student had come to report to the school that she had lost her baby, we know that. And then she was saying that she hears the baby crying. And they were telling her, no, it's her imagination. And I was just pinching my skin and saying, no, it's not imagination. This is true. But in a school setting, you have to be very careful. Mm. Like in the newspaper, the next day, teacher tries to all this mess. Eventually, somebody says, go talk to this person. So in the lab, I said, look, Whatever we say here, you have to take responsibility for it if there's a problem. And she was in severe pain. First, she had just lost the baby. And then she said to somebody, babe, I hear she hears the baby crying. And I said, look, what you hear is not imagination. It is true. The baby is crying. So what? you have to do is to do what you would do normally if the baby were crying. What would you do? So what do you mean? I said, imagine you have the baby and she's and the baby is crying. What would you do? He said, I'll give you a feed the baby. I said, yes, you feed the baby, cuddle the baby, you know, put the baby to sleep in the bed. He said, when you go home, any, when you hear the baby crying in the classroom, ask permission, come to the lab and do the same thing. When you go home, do the same thing. And the baby will stop crying. So what do you mean? I said, just this is what it is. Your baby has left the physical form. He, he, the baby exists in another form. But in that form, there is also the life of the baby. So she goes and does that and comes back the next day. And the problem is solved. But you cannot tell anybody this. They would have suggested giving her medications because he's hallucinating. Mm -hmm. everything so it's interesting but this happened just to be from a cultural background mm -hmm. that one was able to approach the problem that is to dare not do this in a hospital or in a public in a scientific this could not be happened um, I had I was eating and I was choking one time I was choking one time and this is where I think the fear comes in Having read so much about these things, you know, the Tibetan books, I was not afraid. But I saw people rushing around, people calling for water. After a while, I was, the consciousness was penetrating into something. So after a while, and I was not afraid, so I was seeing what was happening. I realized that I was choking, so I was swallowing, I was forcing myself to swallow through whatever I was choking to clear it. Then, the next thing I saw the whole world, like at the, like at the um, end of a vast cone, like an ice cream cone, 
tubular mm -hmm. cone, and it was gradually collapsing. And I was just observing it. I wasn't afraid. And I think this is where the fear comes in. If the fear had come in, it would have disturbed that picture. I, I, I realized all this in a very short time. All these things were going. The people around were just screaming, get water, rush, go get this guy. You could hear, I could hear all of them, but I was just focused there too. Yeah. No effort at all. Just observing. And the cone, the three-dimensional cone at the end, you could see the world. The whole world was just shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. I said, oh, this is how people die. So I could see the, the tube. It was a mysterious how you could see it in several dimensions. You could see that as the cone collapsed to the point, this is where you will enter another state. I realized all of this. And I said, okay, now, I'm not going to get to the point because then I will be gone. So then I was swallowing air to bring back whatever state I was before I got used to it. And I could see then it occurred to me that the whole etheric brain was actually linked in one on one to one correspondence with the whole world. Therefore, as the world, as the etheric brain was actually like bringing itself into a certain point, the world was actually collapsing, so to say. For each uh, diminishment or for each folding into a point, the world became smaller. It was an amazing experience. And then I saw that, oh, so if the meditation was so deep, we will be able to actually do this consciously and go into the next state and come back. We shall die physically and come back and would have overcome death. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing experience. And within a very short time, all these things were going on. And in terms of time, it's a long story. But in that state, you see that t uh, time, as we know it, was just laid aside. Mm -hmm. And you entered into a It was an amazing, I said. So when I came back, I said, what an amazing experiment. I mean, experience. And, and it changed my whole. So when we are meditating, they said that, you know, Calm, slow the breath down. I look, I realize what it means actually. If we could slow the breath down so powerfully, it will actually give us control over the etheric brain. It will help us to actually penetrate deeper into the. I've not tried that, but I could see how it could be done. And then mm -hmm. I said, these Tibetan writings, these writings that we read, they are deeply esoteric. They are profoundly esoteric, and it is, it is only when someone goes through ex certain experiences that the person comes back to read the words and they say, wow, is that what these things mean? They hint at something very profound. Okay. Well, I can't beat that. And uh, I guess uh, Michael is going to kick himself when he hears how interesting that was. But um, I'm just going to say some uh, thoughts. You look at death, uh, you know, I guess symbolically might be the word. It's just um, the fear is sort of, if you abstract it a little bit, I think the fear of loss 
I think that's might be what any kind of fear is really about. Because the fear of the unknown would probably be similar to that, losing what you already know you have. Um, so yeah, it's just about having a sort of... Um, I, I was telling uh, Kevin I, this analogy of uh, a ladder. When you're climbing a ladder, you have one hand holding on to a rung of the ladder. But then the other hand that's holding on to a lower rung, you have to let go of the lower rung in order to reach up to the higher rung. So you're always holding on to something, but you're also always letting go. So if, if you know there's something you can hold on to, then letting go of something's kind of easy. And don't let Kevin tell you he made it up. I made it up, no matter what he says. I was thinking, I was just reminding of the experience that I had up uh, with uh, my grandparents when my grand, uh, grandpa died and they left in blessed age and were sitting with my grandma who was six years older than me and she was asking me if there is a heaven if I think that they, you know uh, my grandpa if where, where he actually went and so it made me rea realize that uh, even though of uh, uh, the significant uh, the age difference and the experience lived that uh, those times and perhaps those uh, environments that uh, the education and the sharing of uh, of the wisdom that we had the access these days to uh, might not have been there. So the people might have been in fear because of that they didn't have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's my thing that has been mentioned here that uh, the uh, the sharing the the, the knowledge and the experiences um, might be the key uh, just to help to overcome mm -hmm. and especially just uh, to just try mainly the, the young generation who is very social media orientated and they do look for mainly sensations and also for recognition but uh, different ways so if those uh, uh, that knowledge can be shared and spread out. Maybe the number of uh, suicides uh, would be would be lowered yeah. uh, by the knowledge. And uh, I think that the fear, at some extent, should be present. It gives us perspective. It should be kept in balance with the knowledge that we we have the access to. And we know that the that the, that that is transition only, but just to. Uh, not to take it into uh, a non-responsible way, but to, to, to be risking with, with our lives, just to live it consciously with that knowing, but uh, in a certain probably the balance is the, the best word that comes to my mind. Yeah. I think that's on the topic with that I would like to share. Yeah, thank you. There is an interesting... Um, event that the Tibetan predicts in one of his books will occur relatively soon because he says early in this century two young children will come forward, one in the United States, one in India, <coughs> and through their work with a scientific type of formula which is related to the different vibrations of light they will be able to work with some type of instrument 
and through the use of this instrument we'll be able to connect with the spirit world and as we know the spirit world is where you go after you die and he says this will completely reorient human consciousness and um, so it's something that we can expect soon because if you are able to contact people who have passed over it's going to be a pretty clear signal that death is and they'll be able to tell you what it's like over on the other side that'll be a really big contributing factor to overcoming our fears of death so doesn't sound like it's in the too distant future yeah, in this connection uh, Kathy uh, well he said that radio signals yeah. will be the means that scientists will be able to actually pick up the connection with the so-called dead mm-hmm. and 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 like Blavatsky used to say to the scientists improve your equipments and you'll be able to pick up these finer you know vibrations it's a question of just keep on improving and and today we have made great improvements so like you said pretty soon you know i mean connections will be made because now we are able to pick even cosmic mm-hmm. vibrations so fine you know so so it, and 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 with with those who are passed to the other side we will see that the vibrations are really really very subtle yeah. very fine and they have to improve the equipment yeah the experience i mentioned i told that i told that to the class to one of my classes and they started laughing you know why they were laughing they knew <coughs> it they said this is what the kids do when they trying to commit suicide and they stop it they stop it before it reaches to the point so what do you mean he said this is what we do so they act like they're hanging themselves and somebody is there to cut you know so they know when to cut it off to stop it from entering into that and sometimes they make a mistake mm. and they actually die so a lot of kids i mean a lot of people have experienced this this shrinking and it takes time you know even if it's a microsecond it, it is not all at once but it's a gradual process and when there's no fear you you are just an observer on another plane yeah. and you are seeing something happening and happening and you could just push yourself or do something and then whatever you have to do to bring to bring it back and 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 it's quite interesting in the in the cultures where the death is simply an extension of life it is the economic problems left behind by the dead that actually creates anxiety because maybe the person might be the main breadwinner and that person is gone and children are left behind but there's an elaborate process of actually contacting the death and almost when i was growing up in every funeral that i was present 
there is something we call noyimo, which means the dead person wants to make a statement. There is something missing that the dead person is not completely satisfied with. So what happens is that the dead person takes over somebody. And the person, it is actually, it is an amazing thing to see. How the person changes. And the voice becomes like the, the person who just passed away. And they speak. Not long, but they speak. And, and very often, when they check, it's a meaningful statement. The dead person, something is not quite complete about something. You know, no, something is not finished. And he or she is indicating that it should be completed this way or that way. And they talk over the person. The person speaks. When it's over, the person is not aware of what he or she said. But when they follow it, it is meaningful and intelligent. Um... It is accepted, but with more education, it will be considered false because nobody is studying it and there's no literature and data, even though it's been meaningful. It's happening right now. So when we go to funerals, everybody is alert. You know, the person starts to act in a certain way. They hold the person and the person starts talking and they will give indications. You know, they will say, it's me, it's me. It's me, this and that, who is speaking. And it's very interesting. So it gives a continuity. The only problem is that we wish we could have that continuity whilst we are alive. And the Tibetan actually indicates how we could do that. But it takes a very deep state of meditation and focus mm -hmm. to be able to bring about that transition. Well... Thank you so much, Emmanuel. And does anyone have any final quick thought that they want to share? Very quick thought. The best way to overcome fear is to identify with the soul and let personality stay with its fears and be a soul who continues its journey. Yeah, and detach, right? Detach from the personality. All right, everybody, thank you so much for your wise comments and meditative focus. And this is something we can keep pondering for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and so let's just end with a moment of silence to link up and sound the OM one time. Thank you.